Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're going to take a big journey today. And so I need you guys on the road. As you guys might remember from last week, we've been talking about valleys. The Lord's been speaking to me a lot about valleys. And as I asked him about it, why? He said, because valleys are where we make the decision that determines whether we go up on the next mountain or not. Anybody wallowed in a valley before? <laughs> Camped? <laughs> you probably saw my hut there. I, 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 I have several years where I was like, hey, I think I'm just going to make it. Um, you know, when Masha and I met, uh, she asked me this question. She, I was in a, I was. I was finally in an okay place. Anybody been in a bad place and you're finally in an okay place and you're like, I'll stay here? I was in an okay place. And she said, so what are your dreams? And I was like, oh, I don't dream. I was super proud of it. I don't dream. I said, I just take life as it comes. That way, you know, you're not disappointed, you know, but you're ready for life as it comes. I thought I was super spiritual. She looked at me like I had three heads. I was like, is that a problem? Is that a problem? You know, because when you're in the valley, you don't dream, do you? Your dreams are survival. Your dreams are stay alive. Your dreams are minimal. Get by. And so as I, as I was praying about the valley, like how we navigate the valleys, because valleys happen in life. And many of us have been through a valley in the last six months. Uh, Masha was talking about it. You know, the valley of being alone, right? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know how good you can look when nobody can actually physically see you and all they can see is Facebook and Instagram? You can look really good. And sometimes then you have to come out to life. <laughs> like, oh dear. <laughs> I've been using the picture for years ago. <laughs> um, but what I want to say is, is um, as I was going through this, there were four valleys that I saw in Scripture. There are four basic types of valleys that God was speaking about. And uh, last week we talked about, anybody remember what we talked about? The valley of decision. And then we've got a valley of obedience, a valley of surrender. And we've got a valley, I'm going to call, well, Scripture calls it the valley of vision. And there's this arc that I'm going to walk us through. And so there's three passages. If you've got Bibles, you can put your finger in them. We're going to go start in Hosea. We're going to move to Isaiah, and we're going to get, with all the goal, to get to Ezekiel. So just, you can keep that in mind. Also, you can tell where we are in the process, all right? Oh, Jesus. Well, let me, let me set the, set the uh, scene first um, with Scripture, what's happening in the Old Testament. Anybody get confused in the Old Testament? Three of us? Awesome. Awesome. I love it. It was like... Yeah, so, so let, me, let me give you a backdrop for what happened in the Old Testament. You guys remember King David? King David brought together the people of Israel, took them from being a slave nation to almost overnight, within 20 to 30 years, turning it to one of the richest, if not the richest per capita nation on earth. Isn't that pretty crazy? But that's what happens when you, when you go all in with God. And so, but in 931 BC, so that was 1000 BC. In 931, his son Solomon died, and the kingdom divided into two parts. One was the nation of Israel, which was the ten tribes who were like, we're not going to follow the son of David. 
and Judah, which had swallowed up Benjamin, became the, the other country. So the country divides in half into, into two in 931. And basically, Israel in the north, like Galilee in Jesus' time, was the rich place. They had a valley called Jezreel, one of the richest areas on earth. More battles have been fought in Jezreel than any valley, any place on earth. Because of how rich it is, you might know it by another name, Armageddon, or the Valley of Megiddo. And so this valley, they were, this is, this is, they were, they had wealth going on. And because they were so wealthy, they gave thanks to God and they followed him faithfully. No, no, no. If you know anything, their, their kings ranged from, from pathetic to severe loser. It, it was, it, they had horrific king after king. As a result... In, my brain just went blank. I just, I did the math. Oh, 713 BC, the northern kingdom of Samaria fell to the attacking Assyrian armies. And eventually, in 586, the southern kingdom, which on and off followed God. Anybody here on and off follows God? Yeah, they on and off followed God. And they eventually, though, they too, they fell to the Assyrians, uh, um, uh, the people who took over from the Assyrians, the Babylonians. This is the world in which we're getting it. So the problem is, the reason why David became so wealthy is the land of Israel lies in between two of the greatest civilizations on earth in the ancient world, the Egyptian Valley and the Mesopotamian Valley. The Mesopotamian Valley was Assyria and Babylon. These were incredibly wealthy areas. When they were strong, they were always fighting over Israel. When they were weak, Israel rose up as a merchant to trade between these two powers. And that's how they made so much money. But every so, every so often, Egypt and Assyria would rise up and they would attack Israel. And so this is the world in which they lived in. They lived in a world where they, um, they were constantly in danger of getting their lunch money taken. Put it, put it that way. So this is the world. So you guys got Bibles? The book of Hosea. If you guys could open it up, chapter 2. Oh, yeah. We're going to start. We're going to start. Um, well, let me, before I do that, I want to say this. is because of this issue, they were in danger constantly of two things. There were two groups of people. There were people who were either pro-Assyria, pro-Mesopotamia, or they were pro-Egypt. In other words, they were trying to figure out who would protect them. But do you want to know who God is for? God. <laughs> I'll put it this way. Do you guys remember when Joshua was coming to the promised land? In chapter 5 of Joshua, it says, it says and, and this, he saw a man coming at him with a sword, and he was scared, and he said, who are you? Are you for us or for our enemies? And he said what? Neither. I am the captain of the Lord's armies. But you sent me to do this. Aren't you for me? <laughs> See, we get to be on his team, not the other way around. And so what happens is over and over and over again, you saw them vacillating between who they were going to look to for protection. And the other option was look to their own wealth. And these are the things they were struggling with. So Hosea was written to the northern kingdom right before it fell. You guys ready? Chapter 2. Of Hosea. If I can find it. Awesome. 
if you're looking for it, Hosea is right after the big prophets. I'm reminding myself. Chapter 2, verse 14. He says this word, therefore. What does the word therefore mean? Something came before. How would I know what came before? Ding, 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 ding. If you back up, the first chapter and a half of Hosea keeps going with this theme of prostitution that they have sold out their love for God to chase after other lovers. Now, the other lovers that they were constantly chasing after have not changed in the last 15, 2,000 years, 1,500 years. So my question is you, what are the things that we run after when we leave God? Not you, your neighbor. Just What are some things that you and I run after when we run away from God? Money. Comfort. Yeah, oh yeah. Food, pleasure. Ooh, safe. What else? Recce- ooh, fame. I'm going to live. All right. What was that? Hedonism. All right, what else? That's it? Self. What else? I heard something. Power. Ooh, yeah, there we go. Pride, yeah. Education. Come on. Survival. Control. Anything else? Sex. Absolutely. Asceticism. Ooh. Oh, don't get me started. If you're looking, though, that's Colossians 2, just saying, which is asceticism is absolutely powerless to curb sin. But moving right along. Don't get me off track. All right. All right. Well, that's a good starting point. We don't need to go fully deep. But um, you obviously are experts. Congratulations. Some people are like, I have a higher education. Um, so these are the things that they ran out, and you know what? They haven't changed. The very same things that they were constantly running after. The devil always comes to you and he says, do you want this? I can give it to you in a shorter amount of time and guaranteed. Anybody had that conversation with the devil? You know, I can give it to you, but see the thing is, and by the way, while you're at it, God's holding it out on you and probably won't come through for you. Anybody? But he says, I will give you security. I will give you pleasure. You know, you know who was the author of pleasure? Do you know what God named Eden? Eden means pleasure. Pleasure is his idea. He wired you for pleasure. But do you know anybody found that sin, when it gives you pleasure, is only pleasure for what? A short time? And then what happens? Some of you know from experience. But, um, And so this is the world they have prostituted. They've constantly run away from from God, chasing other gods. And these gods would promise success, but then on the back end, they they would do horrific things. They would sacrifice their children to these gods. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the horrible things. And so this is the world he's speaking to. He's speaking to people who think everything is okay, but their whole world is burning around them. Verse 14, therefore, God says, I am going to allure her, who, this nation, I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. 
There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor. The word Achor means trouble. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. And I will remove the names of the Baals, or masters, from your lips, and no longer will their names be invoked. What is he saying? He says, who is going to deliver her? God. He said, I will remove the names I will remove that from you. I will remove the power of sin in your life. I will remove the bales from your life. And how am I going to do it? I'm going to draw her into where? The wilderness and the valley of... Anybody met God in the valley of trouble? (laughs) Anybody found it, you you wouldn't seek him on the mountain of success? God would prefer to meet us on the valley, the mountain of success. But sometimes he can only get to us in the valley of trouble. Now listen, the valley of trouble is not, God doesn't have to do anything to you to get you to the valley of trouble. Anybody gotten there all on your own? Yeah, yeah, it's like Britain in on your GPS. Oh, look, home. Uh, The valley of trouble is simply you, God lets you have what you want and you go there. Anybody gotten what you wanted? And found out it wasn't what you wanted? The valley of trouble is simply that. He lets you have what you asked for. And in that moment, anybody had a realization when you got what you asked for? And you're like, ah! (laughs) I need a designated driver. I need somebody else to take the wheel. Jesus. In that moment. So the valley of acre, he says, listen, guys, if you will not listen to me in blessing, I will let you have the trouble you've asked for. And I'll meet you there. All right. So, so let's keep going. But what happens if you don't listen in the valley of trouble? Anybody not listened in the valley of trouble? You get the valley of vision. Yay! The valley of vision. For that, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 22. The valley of visio, vision. Valley of Vision in Isaiah chapter 22. We'll just read the first four verses. Now, because this Valley of Trouble was was about 725 B.C. They didn't listen, and they went into captivity. But the southern nation was sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Because the northern kingdom had always been a pain in the neck to the southern kingdom. Anybody had older brothers? Stronger, older, not wiser, right? You know, they were always beating them up. They were always causing them problems. They were trying to be faithful-ish. And then finally, they got what was coming to them. Anybody had a wonderful self-righteous bone? Yeah. And they're like, I told you that was going to happen to you. And Isaiah is writing to them. Isaiah is writing to them probably around, uh, around uh, 700. And here's what he writes, Isaiah chapter 22. You would think I would get there before you. 
But that would be too easy. All right, Isaiah chapter 22. A prophecy against the valley of vision. The first thing to think about this is the valley of vision doesn't make any sense. If you want to get a good view, do you go into a valley? Where do you go to? The mountaintop. And the thing is, is Israel was all that, um, have you ever had a friend who was right about everything and therefore right about nothing? They had all the answers. And so this was Judah. They were like, nah. And they, they constantly, and in this valley of vision, what he's saying is, you can't see clearly. So you're going into a valley where you will see clearly. What troubles you now, oh Jerusalem, that you've gone up on the roofs? Why did they go up on the roofs? Because in, in the city of Jerusalem, when you went up onto the roof, you got a view. But it still wasn't much of a view because the, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem is on a hill that is actually lower than all the mountains. Your slain were not killed by the sword, nor did they die in battle. Why is he saying that? That happened to Israel. That's what happened to Israel. He says, what does he say? He says, all your leaders have fled together. They have been captured without using a bow. All of you were taken, were taken prisoner, having fled while the enemy was still far away. Do you know what he's describing? Exactly what happened in 586 BC. While the enemy was far away, the leaders of Jerusalem tried to escape. And guess what happened? They were captured. And the whole city fell. Therefore, he says, I, turn away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. Anybody been in this place where trouble did not draw you to God? And so you truly got what you asked for. The valley of vision. Anybody had the stunning realization when your entire life is in shambles around you? Just me? The moment, it's one of the most stark, terrifying moments when you realize where all your choices have brought you. They brought you to a world you never imagined, to a place you never wanted to be, a place of hopelessness and despair. And in that moment, they lost absolutely everything. I can't explain to you, we know how the story ends, so we don't see this, but I can't explain to you how dramatic this is. This right here, because when a nation went into exile in the ancient world, what they did is they took the population and they took them to a far realm of the empire, dumped them there as a slave people, and that people were never heard of again. Their language disappeared, their culture disappeared, everything because in all the history of the world, they've been doing this process of, of uh, what do you call it, uh, redistricting. I, I can't think of the word. But anyway, where they would move them to another place. They had been doing this for 1,500 years, and nobody had ever come home. But God. Because in the Valley of Vision, where you finally turn to him, though, it actually leads to Ezekiel chapter 37, if you could. The valley of dry bones. Now, I don't know about you all, but every week I listen to, I, I come and I enjoy worship because it helps me see where God's going. I don't know what's coming with worship, but I've never ceased to be surprised. We didn't arrange this. But he longs to be king of our hearts. Come on. I, Ezekiel chapter 37. 
But I want you to know this. He will not be king by domination. He's king by invitation in your heart. This is what he wants. So Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me. Who's me? You were cheating. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> no, no, I mean, listen, we're, I always say it, we're the kindergarten church. Sometimes you have to ask silly questions because, you know, like anybody here just reading along and you think you understand it, then realize you don't understand anything. All right, that's a good thing, just checking. So the hand of the Lord was on me. Who's is he? Ezekiel is a prophet, but he is in, he is in Babylon in exile with the very people that will never go home. And God said, took, they said, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley full of bones. Very neat, very orderly, clean, wonderful place. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? This is the best answer I've ever heard in all, the, all of, probably all of history. I said, Sovereign Lord, you know. Even when you think you know the answer, always, that's a much better answer, right? <laughs> Anybody had God ask you a question, you're like, I think this is a trick. I think this is a trick. I'm just going to go with sovereign Lord, you know. All right, always a good answer. What is, why is it the valley of dry bones? Because the valley of vision is the valley of dry bones is the automatic result of the valley of vision. Everything is lost. Everything is gone. Everything. We've lost everything. We have no hope. You know why they have no hope? Because their hope was not in the Lord. Their hope was in stuff. Their hope was in their health. Their hope was in pleasure. Their hope was in comfort. Their hope was in security. Their hope was in... And you know, we have no hope. It's over. Verse four. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the lord and that this is what the sovereign lord says to these bones i will make breath enter you and you will come to life and i will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with sin i will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord who will do this even though Ezekiel is prophesying, who does it? The Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, when you begin to say yes to God and he begins to move in your life, anybody found he doesn't do everything all at once? Anybody bailed at the first, one, first step? 
If I wanted a bunch of zombies, I would ask for a bunch of zombies. (laughs) Stay in it. Stay in it. Stay in it. So I prophesied, he said, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath. That word breath is the same breath, the same spirit that was hovering over the deep, the same breath that God breathed in Adam's nostrils, the same spirit. It isn't life if he's not in it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. He said, come from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel that have been cast to the four winds. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And this, they're... Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. That would be like saying rain goes up. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you back from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Who brings you out of the valley of dry bones? God. If you find yourself in the place of lost hopes, anybody here done what Adam and Eve did when you were in the Valley of Dry Bones? You tried to create a bone necklace and a bone skirt and a bone, you know what I'm talking about? You cover it up, you make something pretty out of it, you post, get an Etsy store online for bone jewelry. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? You figure out a way to be happy where you're at. You figure out how to just live and let live. Let's just lower our hopes. When I, my life had gone to hell and I couldn't admit that I was the one who'd bought the ticket, even in that place, I decided, well, when I finally made my way back to God, I guess I'll be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Hmm. Because I didn't have any hopes. I didn't have any dreams. But what I didn't realize is he had never lost his dreams for me. See, he made you. He formed you. He designed you. And even if all your flesh was torn from you, he'll put it back on you and revive you and bring you back into the calling of God on your life. You might say it's too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. But he must do it. He must do it. You can't do it yourself. Anybody here tried to climb out of the valley of dry bones all on your own? If you just click this link, (laughs) online dating, this is going to work well. Sorry, I'm killing some fatted calves today. 
Listen, if you have to get it yourself, you'll have to keep it yourself. I can't tell you enough. I've been dumb. Don't be dumb. I'm serious. If you are in the valley of dry bones, if you get out on your own, you'll have to, you'll be just slide right back in. If you want to flip back one verse, he descri- uh, one chapter, he describes what I'm talking about. He describes what this valley, coming out of the valley of dry bones looks like. Verse 24 of chapter 36. For I will gather you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will bring you back into our own land. Before they left the land of Israel, the land of Judah, Jeremiah had already prophesied in chapter 25 that in 70 years they'll come back. Even when you bought the ticket to hell, he had already paid the price to bring you back out. He's not shocked. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea Peter was capable of that. He's not disillusioned. He's not. He wasn't overly impressed in the first place. He's impressed with Christ in you, the hope of glory. For I will take you out of the nations. I will bring you back from the countries and bring you back from your own land into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Listen, if you clean you, you won't be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Anybody here tried to cleanse yourself? I will give you what? A new heart. And put a new spirit in you. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you what? Heart of flesh. A heart that feels. When you're in the valley of dry bones, anybody gone to that place where you don't feel anything anymore? You don't have hope? You just live. He gives you back a heart of flesh, a heart of vulnerability. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and will be my people and I will be your God. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. The gospel is simply this. We could not live, so Jesus died that he could become our life. He could empower us. Listen, we're not called. He didn't save us from hell so we could live our lives. He saved us so that we could live his life through us. We cannot keep ourselves from sin, but his spirit does. Because he's not worried about keeping you from sin. He's worried about bringing you into righteousness, which is the fullness of your destiny, identity, your calling. These are the things. Listen, if you are walking in your calling and your gifting and grace, you don't have time for sin. Anybody found that? Like, I, I, I mean, when I was in the Valley of Dry Bones, I only had time for sin. That's all I had. I was like book solid. I just, you know, I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I couldn't wake up in time to go to church because I was too busy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I couldn't. But listen, when God got a hold of me, guess what? I didn't have time for sin. I didn't have time for stupid. All I had time for, God, Jesus said it this way. I only do what I see the Father doing. Listen, we... If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's available. Here's my question. In Isaiah, in Ezekiel chapter 36, who did everything? 
God, God, God. We don't climb up into heaven. He came down. We don't, we don't, we can't fix us, but he does. And so I don't care what mess of your life you've made. I don't care what valley of dry bones you are in. I don't care what valley of vision, or maybe you're just at the doorway to the valley of trouble. I don't care because he's come for you. And he says, if you will give me all of you, all of your dreams, all of your hopes, all of your things that you trust in, if, he, if we will do that, he says, I will give you all of me and I will bring you into the fullness that I promised for you in the beginning. If we could have the worship team come up. I just, this is really important. The way is narrow. The way is narrow. The way is narrow. It's all or nothing. See, religion is 50-50. Religion is add a little bit of Jesus to your life. That's not how it works. Jesus gave all. And the only way he can be king of our heart. Do you know you're not king by vote? You're king all or not at all. Either he is all or nothing. And if you're in the valley of dry bones, it should be an easy decision. Not much to lose. If we could stand. Father, I just ask right now that you would place the choice between us, before us, life and death. Place the, the choice before us clearly. And Lord, all, you can, all we can offer you is our yes. All we can offer you is our yes. And trust you to take it. And in return, give you Give us your yes, all of you.